0: Genesis 28. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. You must not take away from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padam Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessings of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padamoram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padamoram to take a wife from there, and that as he blessed him and he directed him, you must not take away from the Canaanite women. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and got, gone to Paddam Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahathal, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Neb, oh, I can't say that one, Nebaoth. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! There is none other than the house. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house and all that you give me I will give a full tenth to you. This is the word of the Lord.
1: I wonder if any of you have ever hit rock bottom. I mean, rock bottom. Maybe lost hope. Maybe it was over something physical, a health issue. Maybe it was financial. Maybe it was relational. But you found yourself at a place where you realize there is no hope. You are at your lowest of lows. Or maybe you found yourself helping someone, serving someone, caring for someone who is at rock bottom. And you've tried to find ways to speak Jesus into their situation of being at the lowest maybe they have ever been. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe this morning you find yourself somewhere near rock bottom. Well, whether you are at rock bottom now or you know someone who is, I can almost guarantee you that at some point in your future, it is highly likely that you will find yourself in a situation that feels like rock bottom. So what do you do? What do you do? How do you prepare for that? How do you serve someone else who finds themselves at rock bottom? Well, this morning, the story that was just read, we find what happens to Jacob when he hits rock bottom. And so I got three points for you this morning. The very first one is this. Jacob hits rock bottom. So look with me at verse 10. It says this. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran, And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. Jacob's rock bottom is so rock bottom that he has to use a rock for a pillow. Now, kids, you know what I think about pillows. (laughs) I can't think of anything worse than sleeping with my head on a pillow. Do any of you want to sleep with your head on a rock? I'm sorry, on a rock. I said pillow. I'm so pillow-centric. I can't get that on my head. On a rock. Can you imagine sleeping with your head on a rock? That's how low things had come for him. Jacob found himself in a situation where he literally had nothing with him. I'm guessing not even enough extra clothes to roll up to use for a pillow. So instead he finds a rock, and he puts a rock under his head to try to get a good night's sleep. Jacob really is at a low, and it's really because of his own doing. It's really because of what he did to his brother Esau, remember? First he bamboozles him out of his uh, inheritance through, or his birthright, through the soup thing. And then he puts on a costume so that he looks and acts like his brother Esau, so that he can steal the blessing from his brother. And now Esau is so angry that he's literally hunting him down. Remember, Esau's a hunter. So I have a feeling he's probably like, all right, here we go wild game people. Oh, I can do it all. And he is literally set out now to hunt his brother down. And so Jacob flees. He flees. And so as a result now, he is poor. His head's on a rock. He really must feel very dishonored because really he is known as a liar and a deceiver. He's all alone. No one is with him. His relationships are torn apart. And he has to be struck with fear and anxiety over whether he's going to make it through the night or whether Esau is just going to sneak up behind him and maybe snap his neck or put a spear through his heart. I wonder if the only reason he's able to sleep that night. I mean, he's got to be terrified and depressed. The anxiety level has to be through the roof. But I bet because he had walked so far that day and maybe because anxiety was so high, I think he just passed out on the rock. I think he was just exhausted, emotionally exhausted, relationally exhausted, just done, physically wiped out as he laid his head on that rock. So he has nothing. And what makes his situation, I think, ironic is that he is experiencing the exact opposite of what Abraham, nope, Isaac, blessed him with. So we read the blessing this morning. Remember all the ways that Isaac blesses Jacob. He's literally living in the exact opposite world. Jacob said, May God Almighty bless you. And now he feels shame and regret. May God make you fruitful, he says in verses three and four. But he doesn't have anything, let alone some fruit. He says, I'm going to make you a company of peoples. Literally, that's the word for church. I'm going to turn you into the church, your your peoples. But he's alone. You're going to take possession of the land that you're in right now, and yet he's a fugitive trying to get out of the land, escaping for his very life. So he is alone, he is dirt poor, disgraced, and worst of all, he's unaware of God's presence. I mean, that's the worst of it all. Verse 16, he says, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Past tense. <laughs> Prior to this vision, the Lord was in the place, but he didn't know it. He didn't know it. He had laid his head on the rock, poor, feeling worthless. His experience of being alone then goes beyond just being without friends and family, but actually being without God. Jacob had lost his awareness of the presence of God. If you're a note taker, I would write that down. That kind of summarizes some of what's happening in this story. Jacob has literally lost all awareness of the presence of God. He had lost all consciousness of God's presence, his manifest presence. God just wasn't there. He wasn't in Jacob's reality. He's living his life godless, not even thinking of God. He missed God. He did not know that God was there. I wonder if any of us can identify with Jacob. You've lived through a season that was so rocky that you were unaware of the presence of God. You lost consciousness of the presence of God, the reality that God is with you. Maybe you're here this morning and you're living through that right now. Maybe you're living absent of any awareness of God's presence. I've been following Jesus for a while now, and I've been pastoring people for 30 years, and I have some ideas of reasons that we can lose our ability to sense the presence of God, or reasons why God's presence can become a distant memory. And I want to share a few of those with you this morning, because I think there are these, and more reasons why we can lose our awareness of the presence of God. One is, I think sometimes we just get too busy. We're just too busy, I mean, life is so full, isn't it? Between your calendar and your friend's calendars or your spouse's calendar, your kid's calendars, and now we have them all on one calendar or on our phone and it's packed up, different colors, sorted out, go, 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 don't miss anything. And the reality of God's presence become, it can become a distant memory. Busyness does that, you know. It can make you unaware of God's presence. Sometimes it's just life circumstances Life circumstances can strip you from God's presence or the reality of God's presence. Things are spinning out of control with sickness and work and cleaning and cooking and parenting and diaper changing and fixing things and emails and family and friends. So many responsibilities that are laid upon us that we've lost the awareness of the presence of God. Life does that, you know. It can make you unaware of the presence of God. Other times I think it's our behavior I think it can be our very sin that can cause us to lose our awareness of the presence of God. We can live with shame, feeling worthless, alone. And then because of living in unrepentant sin, we find ourselves completely unaware of the presence of God in our lives. Sin does that, you know. It can make you unaware of the presence of God. Well, sin, I think here, seems to be the primary reason that Jacob missed God. I think that's the reason. He's, he finds himself in a very dark and rocky place. It's interesting that Bethel, not that I've ever been there, but what I've read is that it's all rocks. I mean, it's literally like, like rock climbing. It's rocks everywhere. So he's, he's physically in a rocky place, which I think is somewhat symbolic that his life is in a rocky place. And I don't know if you caught the phrase where it says in verse 11, because the sun had set. Those of you that, like literature, you know that that little phrase, the sun is set, often is just symbolic of the sun is going down on his life. Things are dark, and there seems to be no hope. And so that's what's going on. Jacob is at rock bottom in every area of life. Uh, he is at the lowest of all the lows. And so what happens next really is the very best thing that could ever happen to Jacob, the very best thing. So point number two, God wakes Jacob up to his presence. God wakes Jacob up to his presence. he doesn't wake him up physically, but he certainly wakes him up to his reality. And before we even, like, move into the actual story, as I thought about it today and this week, I was noticing this. The grace and love of God that he would reveal himself to Jacob when Jacob doesn't give a rip. (laughs) Jacob is completely unaware that God is there. Jacob is not asking God for help. Jacob's not seeking God. In fact, if we take only what we know about Jacob so far in Genesis. We know him as a conniving, lying, manipulating, deceiver, taking advantage of everyone and every opportunity around him. You would not like Jacob. We wouldn't want to be around him. You'd be waiting to have him somehow bamboozle you out of something. And he's not repentant. He's not laying his head on the rock going, oh God, I'm so sorry. How did I get myself into this situation? I shouldn't have sinned and stolen my brother's birthright and then dressed up like my brother. I did all these. No, nothing. He's clueless. He's clueless exhausted, just puts his head down on a rock. Do you see the grace of God? <laughs> that God would just come down and, and, and reveal himself to him, let him know he's there, when Jacob has no intention at all, at all, of even pursuing God or repenting in any way at all. And so here comes God offering to Jacob really everything he needs and everything he's lacking, everything he needs and everything he's lacking. And I had to wonder this week, why in a dream, right? I mean, he talks to Noah. He talks to Abraham. He goes right to Isaac. He goes right to Rebecca, Sarah, even Hagar he talks to while they're awake. (laughs) Why does he wait? It's almost as if God is saying, Jacob, you are so far gone, so out of control, so out of touch with my presence that I'm going to wait until you're asleep to get your attention. You're so busy. You're so running. You're so manipulating. I'm going to wait. When you're asleep, you'll be calm enough in that moment, and I'll reveal my plan to you. I'll reveal my presence to you. So really, out of abundant grace and love, God reveals himself to Jacob through a vision and through words. He does it through a vision, through a picture, and then he backs up the picture with words. He sort of explains the picture with words. And so let's let's look first at the vision. Familiar, probably to many of us, right? The vision of Jacob's ladder. So let's look at verse 12. And he dreamed, it says. His head is on the rock. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth. And the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it. So Jacob has this vision, this picture of this ladder. Angels are going up and coming down it. And God is at the top, releasing these angels, dispatching them to come down to earth. You may know the verse in Hebrews where it says, are not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So yes, we believe in angels. We don't necessarily believe that you have a guardian angel like it's a wonderful life in Clarence, but that God does dispatch angels. There's angels one day when we get to heaven, I don't think he's going to show us the videotape of the times all the angels cut in and did the stuff that God sent them to do to protect us and to care for us and do things around us. And so that's what he's doing here, I think, for Jacob. He's saying, Jacob, the picture is I'm, I'm dispatching angels. I'm sending them down for you on your behalf. But God's not just doing it at a, at a distance. It sounds like he's there with Jacob. It, it, the Hebrew is confusing here. It could be that he stood above the ladder, or it could be that he actually stood behind, beside him or beside Jacob. But either way, I think the point is God's in the picture. God's not just a million miles away, just going, you know, dropping angels down. God's actually there, actively watching what's going on and with, and he's with Jacob. But what do we do with the ladder thing? What do you do with the whole ladder thing? I I go to a gym where there's a Jacob's ladder. You guys ever seen one of those? And it rotates and you climb it. Rush put out a song in the 80s called Jacob's Ladder. Huey Lewis had a song in 1985 called Jacob's Ladder. I asked Tyler if we could sing that this morning. (laughs) Kaylin, Tyler, and Alex all said no. You guys can listen to Jacob's Ladder later today in your car. Well, believe it or not, and I hope you do believe it, Jacob's Ladder is all about Jesus. Surprise! And I love it that we don't have to make it up because Jesus talks about it in John. So in John, there's this story in 1 John. Maybe you're familiar with it. There's a guy named Philip. Jesus goes to Philip, says, Philip, follow me. Philip goes to his brother Nathaniel, says, Nathaniel, I found Jesus. He's the Messiah. Nathaniel goes, where is he from? And he says, Nazareth. And Nathaniel says, nothing good, comes from Nazareth. Right? And so Philip says, come on, let's go, let's go find Jesus together. They go find Jesus, and as Nathaniel's walking towards Jesus, Jesus says to him, oh, here comes an Israelite in whom there is no, no deceit. Yeah, no lying. He's truthful, which is kind of funny because of Jacob being a liar. But anyway, that's probably not even the point, but there's no deceit in him. And then Nathaniel's response to him is, whoa, you must be the Messiah if you saw me under the fig tree. Remember that whole thing? I saw you before I knew you, before you came, I saw you under the fig tree, and we don't know what went down under the fig tree. I assume it was an opportunity for Nathaniel to do something deceptive, and he didn't do it. And so Jesus says, here comes somewhere where there's no deceit. I saw him under the fig tree where he didn't do what he could have done, right? And so then what happens next? What does Jesus say? He says, oh, you think that's great. Wait until you see what's going to happen later. And then Jesus says these words, and he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you see heaven open. You'll see heaven open. And the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So do you see the parallel here? See, if you were there in their time, they instantly would have thought of Jacob's ladder. When they heard ascending and descending, they were going, oh, Jacob's ladder. And so in this story, what replaces Jacob's ladder. What are the angels ascending and descending on now? They're not ascending and descending on a ladder. What are they ascending and descending on? On the Son of Man. Uh, They're ascending and descending on Jesus himself. So don't miss the point. Jesus is the ladder that connects heaven and earth. Jesus makes it possible for God to send angels to bless sinners. That's really the point. I mean, the story in Genesis should raise questions for us. If we believe God is holy, God is righteous, God is just, and we believe that Jacob is running full head of steam in his sin, then how is God standing with him and blessing him with his presence? He can't do that. If he's going to dispatch angels, it should be to cut his head off, not to bless him. So how does God do that and stay just? Well, the answer is Jesus. The answer is that Jesus is actually really going to be the one who makes it possible for this blessing. Jesus really is the better ladder, if you will. Jesus fulfills or completes Jacob's ladder. And so, since we have no Christ kids for you older kids today, I brought in a ladder. It's a ladder for my house. And the, the picture that I want you to see is that this is a ladder that gets you somewhere. And at the top... There are gummy treats. And there's really, I mean, maybe you guys could be creative and think of other ways to get to the top, but there's really only one way to get to the top, isn't there? You've got to do what? You've got to climb the ladder. And so the same is true for us in our faith, right? If you're going to get to heaven, there's only one way to get there. And if Jesus is the better ladder, the only way to get there is through Jesus. I mean, this is a silly way to say it. You almost have to piggyback on Jesus to get to heaven because he's the only way you're going to get there. You can't get there on your own. So I don't know, is there a kid who wants to climb this and get the tree off the top? Uh, Whoa, 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 whoa. I think you weigh too much. No, go ahead. You made it look too easy. All right. So, in all seriousness, just get the picture, kids and adults. Jesus is the better ladder. Jacob's ladder points to Jesus. That's the point of Jacob's ladder, is that there's no way that angels can come down and bless Jacob unless something makes it possible, and Jesus is the only one that can make it possible for God to bless sinners. There is no other way. All right, and then we got treats for everybody. Gummies, since there's no Christ kids. There's enough for adults too, I think. I love it when God uses visual aids to help us. And he uses visual aids to help Jacob. He could have just spoke to Jacob, but he gives him this picture. And I love the fact that he does that for him. But he not only gives him a picture, Jacob also receives God's words, his spoken words. So if you'd look with me at verse 13. Verse 13, we see what God actually says to Jacob. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said... I am the Lord the God of Abraham your father and the God of Isaac the land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the east and to the, to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south and in you and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed behold I am with you and will keep you wherever you go And will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So God speaks to Jacob. And if we could kind of sum up what God says to Jacob, it's basically this. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to keep you wherever you go. I'm going to bring you back to this land. I will never leave you. And I'm going to do everything I promised, including having you be a blessing to all the nations. It's a pretty big promise that God makes to Jacob. And this promise God makes to Jacob. Jacob would have completely missed had God not cut in and spoke to him in the first place. And Jacob actually responds for the first time in words that I think are honest and truthful. Maybe the first time we've heard him say anything honest or truthful. Verse 16, he says, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. I love it. He's finally being honest. He's not like, eh, the Lord's in this place, and I sort of knew it. I had a hunch. I figured he was here. Now, he's, he's honest, finally, speaking what is true. And, and friends, you know there's an entire sermon in, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. I mean, there's a whole sermon here. We could spend two more Sundays just on that. But I want to make sure this morning that we hear the Spirit's whisper into our hearts. <laughs> I want us to hear the Spirit really say to us this morning, don't be like Jacob. Don't. Don't join him in looking back one hour or one day or one week or one month and say, the Lord was in this place and I didn't know it. Don't be like him. Don't be blind. Don't be distracted. Don't miss God's presence. Don't be too busy with life. Don't get caught in sin. Don't be too preoccupied. Don't be too entertained or too fascinated with this world that you go about unaware of the presence Of God. Do you believe God is here this morning? He is. Do you believe that God was in your car with your family as you drove to church this morning? The ultimate fight zone. Sunday morning breakfast table. Sunday morning car ride. I saw you slapping your husband. (laughs) Sorry, Danielle. (laughs) Don't miss the play on words in this story because it's there, and it's in the word place. Did you see the word place and how many times it's used? Look at verse 11. It's used six times here. Verse 11, just scan verse 11 with me, and he came to a certain place, taking one of the stones of the place, still in verse 11, and lay down in that place to sleep. Look at verse 16. Surely the Lord is in this place. Verse 17, how awesome is this place And then finally in verse 19, we find out the place is Bethel or Luz. Why wait to tell us where he is? Why not tell us the first time? Why not just start in verse 11, and he came to Bethel, which was Luz. Why wait? Why use the word place so many times? Well, I think the point is that the place isn't a place. (laughs) In other words, the location is not the point. The location is not the issue. In fact, God tries to drive this point home with Jacob in verse 15, where he says, Behold, I'll be with you and will keep you wherever, wherever you go. So God wants to make sure that he knows it's not about this place. So he beats the point home, I think, with Jacob, but apparently Jacob completely misses it, and he's completely fixated on this being the place. This is the place, the gate of heaven. This rock is the place where God exists. Everything is about this place. And I believe this is one of the points that Jacob misses. So number three, I just want to talk about Jacob's response. Jacob's response. How does Jacob respond to God saying, Behold, I will be with you and will keep you wherever you go. Well, his entire response in verses 16 and 17, he's totally fixated on a place. He says, How awesome is this place? Now this place is the house of God. This place is the gate of heaven. And then in verse 22, he says, This stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. So he literally is like, And this stone shall be the place where God's house is now. And then he puts it down. I thought a good sermon title could easily be this morning, The Pillow Pillow That Becomes a Pillar for God. (laughs) That'd be a terrible title, because it doesn't make any sense to the story. (laughs) Although some think that it does. (laughs) I think he completely misses what God is promising him. He's promising to be with him and to keep him wherever he goes and that he would be with him even in this place of hardship. The entire dream really has nothing to do with rocks or this place that he's living in. And once again, I just want to apply this to us and be careful that we not wrongly claim promises for ourselves that are directly made to someone else, but... I can confidently tell you this morning that this promise that God will be with you and that God is in the place, wherever the place is that you are, because God's word tells us that. And he tells us that so clearly, even in the scripture that we've memorized before together, that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Curses is everyone that is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, that comes through Isaac and Jacob, might come to the Gentiles so that in Christ Jesus might receive the promised spirit through faith. So the ultimate blessing of Abraham that comes to Isaac and through Jacob to us is the promised Holy Spirit that dwells in you right now, which is the proof that God is with you. He's with you wherever you go. Because you've received the promised Spirit. You've been born again to a living hope. Your heart's been completely changed. The Spirit of God dwells in you now. So you can't go anywhere without God. So everywhere you go, you can say, The presence of God is with me. God is not just omnipresent, He is with you personally and specifically through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. See, the Spirit of God brings the presence of God to the people of God. That's what He does. And that's what He's doing here. Well, next we get to listen in on what Jacob says or actually does when he wakes up in the morning. So he gets up in verse 18. He rolls out of his rock bed, I'm sure from a great night's sleep. And this is what it says, verse 18. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone they had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of the place Bethel, but the name of the city was uh, Luz at the first then Jacob made a vow. Let's listen to his vow. If God will be with me and will keep me and this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God and this stone which I have set set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. So what do we make of Jacob's words? Do we want to give him a thumbs up? Do we want to give him a thumbs down? Yeah, this is a tough one because there's a lot of different opinions of what to do with Jacob's response. I would suggest to you this morning, let me just... Be fair. There are people who think that this is an example for us. Follow Jacob's example. This is conversion moment. This is an example. This is, him, this is him showing us how we should be living our lives after we have our encounter with God. There's a lot that say that. I, I this morning, beg to differ. But I also want to say this, because I'm going to see Jacob face to face. And when I see him face to face, I don't want him to go, dude, come on, Really? So I want to make sure you understand that I identify with Jacob. I understand Jacob. I don't know Jacob's heart. All I can go on is what I read and his history. So I'm taking his past example. I'm marrying it, just what he says, not knowing his heart. And I'm going to tell you what I think. And I hope that it helps us to know how we are to respond to God's presence in our lives. Well, first, I think I see this. I think he's trying to strike a bargain with God. Did you catch the if-then? I mean... I got all kinds of notes here, but at the bottom line is I strongly discourage all of us from ever approaching God with if-then statements. (laughs) God, if you do this, then I'll do that. And that's really what he's doing. And it sounds so much like him stealing the birthright from Esau. If you give me, if you give me your birthright, I will give you a bowl of soup. He's doing the same thing, only to God! (laughs) God! The pattern hasn't changed or so it seems some people argue and it's true that the word if in the Hebrew can be translated since. It doesn't make any difference to me. It sounds just as bad since God will do these things then I will let the Lord be my God. The Lord is his God whether God does anything for him or not. There should be no if before the then in his vow and In every circumstance in Scripture, when a bargain is made between two people or a vow or a covenant, the greater one makes it, and the lesser one says yes. (laughs) So Jacob here is way, way out of line. I strongly discourage you also from making any since-then statements to God also. Besides this, I hope you saw the difference between what he is vowing and what God had promised God had already made all these promises, and he's like, well, I vow if God does these things. Well, the things that he lists aren't the things that God said. There's a little overlap, but he says things that God never said he was going to do, and it doesn't say a whole lot of things that God does say he's going to do. It's almost crazy. God promises land, lots of offspring, that through him and his family, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed, and, and Jacob's vow has to do with if God will be with me. God already said he was going to be with him. So that's good that he says that. Um, he's going to keep me in the way that I will go. That's good. God had said that. Then he says, and then, God, I also want to come again to my father's house in peace. Basically, what he's saying is protect me from Esau. And I just want to go back to my kitchen and to my comfort with my mom at home. It's basically what I think he's getting at. And then he says, I want bread to eat and clothing to wear which I think is kind of ironic because he used bread and clothing both times, right? One of each to get what he wanted from Esau. And now he's turning to God and saying to God, oh, and by the way, I will let you be my God and I will tithe to you if you'll give me food and bread and if you'll get me back to my house in peace and then if you'll do. So these if-then statements, I think, are meant to be troubling. Jacob is bartering with God for food and clothing. It's a reversal, really, of the whole Esau thing. So these things he also leaves out. He mentions nothing about, oh, and God, I want to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. I mean, if you read the two, what God says and what he says, God's thing is all about God, what God promises. And then Esau's thing is all about Esau. It's all me and I, me and I, me and I. Jacob, sorry, dang it. Too many names. It's all about himself. He really is the focus. And he just wants peace and to go back home. The last thing I think that Jacob gets wrong is I don't think he sees the worth of God. Now, I have to say, I can't blame him, although I am, <laughs> because he doesn't have all the information I have. But from what he knows, from his grandfather and his father, I would hope that he have responded a little more like his father and his grandfather in this situation. I mean, his response is, and God, if you do all these things for me, then I will give you a tent. you will be my God— Thank you for allowing, giving me permission to be your God. And then it's, I will give you a tenth, not just a tenth, but a, a full tenth. I'll give you a full tenth. Go, Jacob. <laughs> wow, God must have been like, a, whole t- a full tenth? Jacob, woo, you're the man. I don't know what I would have done without that tenth. I'm not even sure where Jacob came up with 10%. Except his culture, God has never said anything thus far in Genesis about 10% of anything. So he's just taking this culture thing and he's bringing it into his relationship with God. I think what Jacob offers God falls way short of the worth of God. And so I want you to just listen to me for a moment and hear my heart and listen carefully for us today. God is not concerned with amounts or percentages Unless the amount is all and the percentage is 100%. That's what God is interested in. All and 100%. All and 100%. We could go back to Galatians 3, where it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. The law of tithing. He redeemed you from the curse of the law so that you might receive the promised spirit. So instead of being under a law to protect you from doing dumb things, you now have the Holy Spirit in you to guide you and to give you joy and peace and to see how dumb the things are that you used to want to do. And so in this case, I think we don't tithe. We fall on our faces in the presence of God and we do what 2 Corinthians tells us to do. We decide in our heart what to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's what God wants, 100%. And we fall on our faces and say, God, what do you want? How much do you want? We don't use formulas. I think you guys know this. This is so Jesus. In Mark, you remember the story of the lady who gives the two small copper coins? And he sat down, it says, opposite the treasury, Jesus. And he watched the people sitting, putting money in the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and the poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which made a penny, a little penny. And he called his disciples, and he said to them, come here, come here, i got to tell you something. Truly I say to you, this poor widow, she's put more in than all of those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything, everything she had, all that she had to live on, everything and all. Now, just side note, if we all sold everything and gave it away, we would all be a burden to society. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is what got Jesus' attention was her heart. And her willingness to say, I'm going to give it all. I'm going to trust God with it all. Jesus says the same thing in Matthew 16, only now it's really about our hearts. Then Jesus told the disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. So deny, deny, deny self, deny self, deny self. And take up his cross. That means die. So deny and die. And follow me. So I'm dying, I'm denying, and I'm following Jesus. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So it's deny, die, follow, lose. Deny, die, follow, lose. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man gain in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels. Listen to this. This is true. He's going to come. And he's going to come with his angels. And he's going to come in the glory of his Father And he's going to repay each person according to what he has done. He's going to repay us. He's going to bless us in some weird way. He is going to reward us for doing the things that his spirit prompts us to do. And I know that what he wants from us is all of us denying and dying and following. I want us to see how insulting or even dishonoring it is for Jacob to say, hey, I'll give you a full tenth and I'll let you be my God if you give me some food and clothing. It's ridiculous. And yet I'm just like Jacob. I'm just like him. How often for me does deny myself turn into indulge myself? Or take up my cross turns into take up my pleasure. Lose my life turns into save my life. Follow Jesus turns into go on my own way with my own agenda. Just like him. And I think often I live this way because I am unaware of the presence of God in my life. I think it's connected. Oh, he is with us. Oh, he is with me, blessing me, keeping me, doing everything he has promised, and yet so often, I don't know it. God's there doing stuff. Yeah, I missed it. Didn't acknowledge it. Didn't see it. Blinded. Missed out. Friends, do you understand that God is God and he's worthy of all of you? All of you. Everything. Because Jesus has given all of himself for you, it is only good and right that we would give all of ourselves back to him. And that's what he wants. He wants 100% of you. He wants all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength— he wants all of your money, all of your relationships, all of your job, all of your hobbies, all of your eating, all of your vacation, all of your everything, all of your parenting, free time, entertainment, sex, you make the list. He wants it all. And this, my friends, is how you live through rock bottom. This is how you prepare for rock bottom. This is how you help others live through rock bottom. You recognize that everything you have and all that you are is 100% his and you surrender to him joyfully in that and say, take it all, take it all. It's you and I really finding ourselves pouring our hearts out to God on a regular basis saying, God, I recognize your presence. I know you are here and you are my everything. I want nothing more than you My money is yours. My house is yours. My spouse is yours. My kids are yours. My job is yours. My health is yours. My today is yours. And my tomorrow is yours. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's what God wants. Now, again, I don't want to throw Jacob under the bus because he has reasons to have missed this that I don't have. And so I'm challenged this morning and I'm challenging us that the Spirit would protect us from ever saying, surely the Lord was in this place and I missed it. May the Spirit help us to be very, very aware of God's presence in our lives, whether we're in a rocky time or not in a rocky time. And may we always be ready, eager to give to God everything and anything that he asks for at any time and in any way. And I know there's people in this room that have had stuff happening even in the last week or two where you're wondering what God wants and what God's doing. And I want to encourage you, don't shy back from the crazy things he might tell you he wants. Because God's like that. Because he's good. So don't approach him with the if-then. Approach him with the, approach him with the yes, you're my king. And listen and obey for his glory and for your joy. We're going to sing a song, and then we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. But I wanted to sing one song first, and as we sing, just really give it a chance just to ask God to make you more aware of his presence and to surrender everything to him. Whatever it is that he wants to take, let him know it's his. Maybe some of us need to repent from some if-then things that we've been thinking. And ask God to give him his perspective. We are going to take the Lord's Supper together this morning. Um, there are two stations in the front that have uh, juice or wine, whichever your conscience allows. You can take the bread and you can dip it in the juice of the wine, or you can take a little cup. there are up front. There's gluten-free in the back. So you can go to the back, and um, if you're a gluten-free person, you can go back there and take that. Um, this is for people who love Jesus. No one's perfect. The requirement is loving Jesus with all of our heart, and believing that He's the Ladder. There's no other way to get to heaven. So this morning, we're going to take together for that. So if you want to, let's go now. You can go ahead and take from one of the three stations. And then we're going to sing one more part of a song, and then we're going to take together. So you can take your bread and the juice back to your seat and then wait. Reading that Jesus is our ladder. And just like that was a picture of how we need Jesus for our sins to be forgiven and to get to heaven, the bread and the wine is a picture. For us, of what it looks like to trust in Christ, to partake of Him, to believe in Him for our salvation. So, as we continue to sing, I want to encourage you to to think on that, to enjoy God, to enjoy Jesus as your only hope, your only ladder for getting to heaven. So, let's eat together as we continue to sing. Or uh, you are dismissed this morning. For Tyler does the benediction. Um, one is as I was as I was singing, I felt the Spirit. Say this to me, and so I wanted to say it, and I hope maybe some of you caught, felt this way, and so I want to be just honest and transparent. When when I got near the end of the sermon and I was talking about tithing, what that means, and that whole piece, um, I don't know whether you sensed anger in anything I said or in my tone or in my attitude a little bit. And so as I was saying, I sensed that maybe I should say something in case you did because there is a little there because of some of the things I read this week, which was basically taking Jacob Jacob's, Jacob's example and saying, and you'd better do the same. And that just really rubbed me the wrong way when pastors try to push self-serving tithing on their people to get what they want. And so in all honesty, if this church can't afford to pay me in six months and I have to work at Walmart half the time, I don't care. I'm still not gonna put you under the law of tithing. Okay, just want to make sure you hear that. Now, if you want to talk more about how I come to those conclusions, we can have those conclusions together. Jesus came to set you free. Free. And So like I said, go to him and say, God, it's all your money. What do you want me to do with it? And how do you want me to spend it? Because it's all his, not just 10%. That's the first thing. Second thing is, if you would like to be prayed for this morning just for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, anyone in this room can pray for you for that. I'm here. I'd love to pray for you for that. If you're just like, hey, I'd just like to pray for just another fresh filling of God's Spirit. And I'd love somebody to put their hands on me and pray for that. Please come up here. I'd love to do that for you as we leave this morning.
2: Tyler, benediction. Just pray for us. Pray for us. Pray for us. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are a God that wants to make yourself known. Known to sinners who don't pursue you, No to sinners who don't don't believe in you have no righteousness on our own. God, I thank you that you pursue the sinner, you save the sinner, and then you bless us extravagantly. God, protect us from condemnation. Protect us from feeling that we have to do some kind of work, so there's some kind of a a two-way transaction here where you're doing something because of us, in any way good or bad it's all by your grace it's all through jesus jesus we thank you that you are the ladder to the father you are the access the means that grace comes to us and blessing comes to us and also the way that we have access to your presence oh holy spirit please help us to believe this what we heard this morning holy spirit please help us to believe and to. Uh, to want what we just sang, that we want all of you. Help us, Lord, that no matter what the cost, we will follow you. We want to give you everything. And we struggle with it, Lord. So we ask you to help us. Help us to do the thing that you've called us to. We know you will. We know you love to do that. So we're relying on you, Holy Spirit. We're relying on you. We're relying on your presence fulfill your promises. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, I pray.